Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Book of the Bible. <gasps> Only one? One book of the Bible in the New Testament, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to cover, but rather in depth, we're going to cover about five verses. Now, if you haven't picked up one of these workbooks, listen, uh, they're absolutely free. Uh, you can pick them up. You can pick one up every week if you want to, but you can pick them up. And uh, what we're about to walk through is more comprehensive in here. I know for some of you that don't really like notes, that may be more of an irritant. And I'm willing to take that risk because you might want to open this up and you might want to read through here in maybe the 10, 15 minutes it would take and you could learn something. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. If you come to this church and you still, over a period of time, don't know how to have a relationship with Jesus, it will not be because you don't understand Scripture. Okay, so we're, we're going through this and we're asking the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher and help us today. Um, so everything's going to be in here. We're, we're going to cover uh, uh, some in-depth stuff, and so I'll stick pretty close to the notes. Uh, but before I get there, <clears throat> let me just kind of remind you where we've come. Pastor Jenny already said it. Today we're finishing up the first uh, workbook, and you'll get a brand new one next week with four more lessons. But the focus of this first one is the person of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about relationship. How do we, do we understand a relationship with this third part of the Trinity? Lots of Christians know Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They just don't really know who the Holy Spirit is. They know some things about the Father. He's a father figure, and he's the God of the universe, and he's the owner of it all. They know some things about the Lord Jesus because we've been taught about our Savior, and we've got you know four Gospels, at least, that tell us about what it looked like when he was living here on earth. They don't know much about the Holy Spirit. And so we've been looking at, for four weeks, the person of the Holy Spirit. It's so essential that you understand him as a person so that we can move on and talk about other things, and he's not just an it. He's not just a power source. He's not just a feeling. He's not just something that happens in a service. But it's, there's a person connected to this, and it's going to be so beneficial for you to begin to understand that. Well, last week, Pastor Brandon brought a great message. I wasn't here, uh, but I listened to it uh, on the podcast, and he brought a great message on the fellowship. That word fellowship is not just coffee and donuts, and, but it literally means an intertwining of our life together. And in that workbook, we went through three different things that the first thing is that the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit passionately and personally, he sticks out his right hand and he welcomes you into the intimate circle of the Godhead. No more secrets. You get to know what God thinks. You get to understand. You get to have one of the Godhead walk with you everywhere. And it's like you're part of the behind the curtain movings of how life is, is happening. And he welcomes you into that. The next thing is he welcomes you into a literal partnership as if you're business partners. So your problems are now his problems. Your concerns are his concerns. The things that you want to accomplish, the things that God has for you to accomplish, those things he's going to personally help you. I mean like skin in the game, like in the moment relative, not like he's just going to watch to see how hard you're going to try. He's going to come in and literally help you. And if you understand that, you'll open up to that. And finally, he takes, he takes significant responsibility for this. 
So even when you're seeing an area that's kind of eroding or you're seeing a gap and man, that's not really coming together and you think that you're concerned about that, he's more concerned because he takes personal responsibility kind of like a life coach and when you have an area that's not the way you want it to be, the way God wants it to be, he personally, feels personally responsible and invests himself to say, okay, we've got to fix that. Always for your benefit, always for your good. God is never trying to get anything from us. It's always trying to give something to us. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Well, today, we're going to turn a page and we're going to talk about the passion of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, uh, most of you, maybe, maybe all of you, but most of you are going to be shocked. And I mean that literally. You're going to be shocked to find out just how passionate he is. And we're going to talk about how does the Holy Spirit feel when you don't honor and you don't engage the relationship he has with you? He has feelings. This is real. And we're going to talk about when he feels that, what does he do? How does the Holy Spirit begin to move and, and, uh, and take action to bring you back to him. And then we're going to find out, and all from James, those five verses, what are three very real and very restorative promises that the Holy Spirit makes if you will humble yourself and you'll say, you know, you know what, I missed it. And you'll begin moving back in the right direction, three things. Uh, but let me first, I'm going to set kind of create a mindset because we, we can look at this as a Bible study and you'll definitely walk away Bible smart, but I don't want you to be Bible smart only. I want you to be, have a real understanding of relationships. So we have to get a mindset before we open this, the mindset that Pastor James in the book of James had in mind. And I, I was trying to figure out how, how can I capture something? This is the best I can do. So if it's clumsy, uh, then forgive me and let the Holy Spirit give you another one. But l- let's just say if, if you're a parent here this morning, how many parents do we have in the house? Okay, a lot of them, good, good. So if you're a parent, let's just say that you're not a parent, but you wanna be a parent someday, uh, or you wanted to be a parent, and for some reason or not, you, you weren't able to, okay? And I wanna be sensitive to all of that, but let's just say you, I'm gonna talk primarily to parents or in the mindset of a parent. Um, let me ask you a question. When you wanted to have children, why did you wanna have children? If you wanted to have children for free labor, that might have been a hundred years ago, but that's not today. And so if you thought, man, we can get help around the house and it'll just be great for chores. Yeah, that, I, that probably didn't work out too well for you. Okay, I know it didn't work out as good as Debbie and I had hoped, right? So that, that probably wasn't a great strategy. How about if you thought, you know what, but there's a lot of tax breaks and things, we can get rich. Yeah, how'd that strategy work out? Because they're like super expensive, like more expensive than you can imagine, right? How about if you thought, well, but I, I just, if, if I can have children, then I can feel superior. All of my ideas will be readily accepted and, and they'll just, you know, just be just amazed at how smart I am and the wisdom that I bring to their life. And yeah, see the smiles and the giggles, like that's not working out too good either. Uh, by the way, encouragement, it helped, it, it does later on. Okay, it's just kind of delayed about 20 years, but, but you'll get there, just hang in there. Or maybe some of you just had this real kind of novel, romantic idea, and you thought, yeah, but they're just so cute, and they're just so cuddly, and, you know, we, we can just have fun. You have pictures of, you know, just kind of all the Hallmark cards and the, the commercials, you know, walking hand in hand. And, and by the way, all that's true, and that's wonderful. Interrupted, though, by nights and nights and nights of sleeplessness and all kinds of labor-intensive stuff, it is more work and harder than you can imagine. We could go on and on and on with this, but the point is, 
The reason that every single person who had kids or every single person who was wanting to have kids or wanted to have kids, the reason that you wanted to had to do with the relationship. You couldn't really put your finger on why. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why, and most of them, you know, all of us who, who first started, we were super positive, super idealistic, rather naive, no matter how much somebody tried to tell us, we were rather naive about, you know, the, the costs and the consequences, but, but we wanted relationship. And you have to stop and really take that in and understand it, because when the, when the Bible says that, yeah, it's a ton of work. I mean, it's gonna be more work, less ideal, less romantic, more labor-intensive, more sleepless nights, more, more prayer, more you know, fighting off anxiety, whether something's you know, gonna happen or something's gonna creep in and, and kind of cause them to go awry, more money than you even know how to calculate, and all those things are true. But, but the reward, the potential reward for the relationship that can be had is absolutely worth every bit, everything that it would cost you. Now, if, if you can kind of climb into that mindset and just get as mushy as you can on the inside, I mean, let it almost bring you to tears if, if your imagination's that active and you can get there, because I want you to stop and understand that what most, no, no, what many Christians don't realize is the reason that God created mankind was for relationship. He didn't need a workforce. He didn't need his ego stroked. <clears throat> he didn't need somebody to generate wealth on the earth because he owns it all and he's just gonna get richer and richer and richer. It was none of those things, never will be any of those things. There's one reason why God wanted to create people and one reason why he so, so loved the world that even when sin came <clears throat> and people turned around and rejected him and corrupted everything perfect that he created, God didn't kind of dust off his hands and turn, turn his back and say, well, then what, you know, why even bother? He didn't. For thousands of years, God went to work. And God created this master plan that he would ask his own son, Jesus, to do the unthinkable. To leave heaven, and this is what a lot of Christians don't catch, with really no promise that he would ever get back. See, see, we think he's the son of God, right? So he just pops into a human body and he's just kind of, you know, supernaturally inclined in every area. He's impervious to sin. He's impervious to, to temptation. And so he's just really kind of walking out a schedule and he's gonna die and then re resurrect and we're back on track again. But what we don't understand is, uh, Philippians says, when he left heaven and came and was born of a virgin, he literally emptied himself of all of the perks of being deity. And he became a human just like you and I. Granted, half God and half human, but nevertheless, that human side was still vulnerable to temptation. And we knew that. We know that because the Bible says that Jesus learned by the, as he grew up by the things that he suffered, by the things that he had to tell his flesh no, and he had to discipline himself. We also know that because in the Garden of Gethsemane, with real tears and with real stress and anxiety, he begged his father for three hours Please don't make me do this. Please don't make me go to the cross. Please, please don't make me do this. But he finished every one of those prayers with, nevertheless, if this is the only way that it can really happen, if there's no other possible way, then okay, then we'll, your will be done. And he walked through it. But Jesus was very, very human, which brings you back to God the Father. <clears throat> you, you can't even imagine, you can't even imagine the risk 
Can't even imagine the kind of love that must have compelled him to be able to risk his own son that had been with him for all of eternity past and all of, and all of eternity right up to that point to risk losing that relationship so that he could rescue his other children. But let me tell you what it was all about. It was all about relationship because God our Father could not bear the thought of living all of eternity without you. Just like a parent who loses a child, or even, let's just shallow that out, just like a, a parent who finds out their children, their family won't all be together on a major holiday in a significant moment that they were looking forward to, and this is going to be so great. Can you imagine when we all come back together? And, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you realize they can't come. The hurt and the heartbreak of the Heavenly Father is almost unimaginable, except for we have that thumbprint on the inside of us and we have these little moments in time where we get to feel what a disappointment in relationships like. We get to feel what happens when, when something doesn't come together and it's not about the stuff and it's not about the thing and it's not about the place and it's about the relationship. See, we, we can all understand that and you have to climb into that mindset before you open up James chapter four, or you're gonna read this as some Sunday school lesson and you're gonna learn lots of, lots of things about scripture, but you won't understand a thing in the world about what Pastor James is trying to communicate as far as the passion in the relationship that the Holy Spirit feels for you and I. Now, if you can hold on to that mindset, scripture is just gonna unfold and it's gonna be deeper and deeper and deeper and, uh, and this is gonna be a life-changing lesson. I know that because when I first understood this, it was life-changing for me. I've never been the same. Not been perfect by any means. Still trying to understand it and grow in it, but I've never ever thought about this the same. Legalism almost evaporated. It was about relationship now. And so here's what we wanna see. So we're in James chapter four. Uh, you're on page 38 of your workbooks. Hey, listen, if you guys aren't note takers, I get that. Some of you are following along uh, on the Bible app with your phone, and I think that's awesome. And, but pick up, pick up those and make sure you're following along somewhere. At least you know you have a reference because some of the stuff uh, I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit will want you to go back and chew on it a little more. So page 38 of your workbook, there's a kind of a heading there that says, talks about an improper spiritual relationship. That's where we're gonna start. And I'm gonna stick pretty close to the notes from this point on uh, so that we can get through this whole lesson and you can, uh, you can really digest it. James chapter four, we're gonna read the back half of verse four, not to disturb context, but just for time's sake and focus. It says, this is Pastor James, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He starts out with a question. He says, don't you know this? And I could say it this way. What, you know this, right? Because we're all believers here, right? So you know this. This is like one-on-one stuff. You know this, right? But he realizes, yeah, you, yeah I think you kind of know it here, but somewhere you've lost it here. So he's asking a provoking question. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be, that, that's, that's important now because it, 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 if you study it a little deeper, it implies whoever persists, whoever wants to be a friend of the world more than a friend of God, and you're gonna see it unfold in the text, he said makes himself an enemy of God. Well, that's kind of a, it's just kind of a big statement. It's like, what, what do you mean enemy of God? What, what are we talking about here? And what does friend of the world mean, right? Where's that line? Where's the line where you write, you know, the, if you take one more step, you're crossing it. 
but, but if you're just right inside this line, you're still safe. And where is that line? And so we're going to walk through something. And the first thing I want you to see, the word friendship and friend are both from the same Greek word. It's one of the Greek words that the Bible uses for, for, to describe a type of love. And this Greek word, phileo, is talking about all the different aspects of relationship. Now, pardon me for saying this, but our society is so immersed in physical love that we almost can't think of love. We can't use the word intimate and, you know, without automatically just our mind going push to there because it's pervasive in the cultivate. Listen, take all the sexual stuff out. That's not what we're talking about anywhere in this lesson. So try as hard as you can not to let your mind go there, even though the culture's just layered it thick, all right? Phileo is talking about the affection, it's talking about, I just, I don't know, I just like being around them. They're just, they're just great. You know, they're, they, they just make me feel and, and fill in the gap. It's talking about that deep friendship and the affinity or the affection that you feel towards that. And so here James is talking about Christians who over a period of time, this is not Christians who, you know, kind of made the decision right away or woke up one morning and said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be a friend of the, of, of the Lord anymore. I'm going to be a friend more of this. It's over a period of time, just stuff, sometimes blessings. Sometimes the pressure eases up and God's doing what he promised and life gets a little more flex and you get to enjoy a few more things. And over a period of time, they've drifted back towards the things that are available in the world, not all bad things, but towards the things that are available in the world to, a, to the point that their affections now are so drawn to that that they prioritize their time and their energy towards natural endeavors, towards friends, listen, at the expense of God and the things of God. Now that's a big statement in a really complex issue, right? So we could say, yeah, Pastor, I, I get what you're saying, but it, it's just not that simple because we got sports leagues and you know, we got things and I got to have time for me. I got to take care of me, right? And that's, that's really important. And, and we got all these things. None of them are inherently bad. They're all to be a blessing and a benefit. But somewhere we cross a line and those things begin to consume our time and consume our energy and consume our resource to where something's got to give and what ends up giving is a relationship with God. We don't have time to come to church, not like we used to. We'd love to do devotions. We get that's so important, but you don't understand how early I have to get up in the morning and how many things I got to do for the day. And listen to me, I get it. It's complex. I'm not trying to marginalize it. I'm just saying it gets so complex that at some point it just gets really simple. Because if you take God out of that and you put anybody else in that relationship, it would get simple real fast. If you were busy doing all this and your spouse said, hey, I'm glad you're involved in all that, but when do we get to spend any time together? You'd be like, oh, I didn't even realize that. If you had all this stuff going and it was great, but you found out from your kids, hey, love all this stuff, but I just kind of want to be with mom and dad. You're driving me and all this stuff. And, and, but the, the unfortunate thing is we get going, 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 assuming that all this stuff is good and all this stuff's part of the benefit and we're taking our cues more from the culture than we are from the Bible. And so we get ahead of ourselves, And the next thing you know, we don't have time for a relationship with God. And, and this is no condemnation. I'm just saying this is reality. We all have to live here all the time. And this is what the Holy Spirit's trying to, trying to get us to understand relationally. There's no legalism here. There's not a checklist somewhere in the Bible that says, you know, you can do this much of this and that much of this, and it, it's not there. It's all relationally based. 
And we have this kind of this flex where we have to learn to live it out. Well, so that's the first thing James says. He said, I want you to know that if you choose to be friends with the world more than friends with God, that's what it looks like, and that's going to be a problem. In fact, let's go back to verse 4 again. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is, listen, enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In some of your translations, that's the same English word because in the actual Greek language, it is the same word. They're just using it a little different. Um, but this is a really super strong word, right? We, we kind of use the enemy, you know, playfully sometimes or super serious, but we're not a real combative society, at least not, you know, down in the, the grueling, the nitty-gritty of things. But in the, uh, the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word's used over 450 times. And every time it describes adamant hatred or extreme hostility, or it actually personifies an enemy or an opponent of God. And so here's what James is trying to teach us, that initially, when we allow our affections to shift then the Holy Spirit sees that as, as a threat to the relationship and, and he tries to step in and begin to convict us, begin to talk to us. Hey, you, 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 know, you, can't, you can't leave me out. You, you can't just not do this because, well, yeah, but I'm really busy. And of course, most of the time we respond, you know, I totally hear you, Lord, and you know my heart, you understand, you know, and so just let me get past this busy season. Once we get out of this particular thing, then I promise I'm going to. And that's so easy to let that go. And, you know, a couple of weeks, six weeks turns into six months, turns into six years. And pretty soon that becomes a pattern of your life. And the Holy Spirit's watching this. And so he starts talking to you, right? But if you persist in heading the wrong direction, then not only is, is enmity or this little uh, opposition that, that, uh, that is happening because you've allowed your affections to go somewhere else, that now becomes the actual enemy. So enmity, a rub, something that, that's causing a problem, now actually becomes the focal point or, or the enemy, and the Holy Spirit starts taking a, a position to do whatever he has to do to get you to put on the brakes to stop you, listen, to save you from yourself. Because you think you know what you want, and you're having a great time, and listen, the Bible is, is full of great times. For anybody who thinks, see, God just never wants to have any fun, listen, wait till you get to heaven. I'm telling you, it is a wild, fun place. You're not even reading your Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God commanded them to celebrate. And I don't mean for a couple of hours, you know, gathering with family. Some of these celebrations lasted for weeks. He commanded them. I'm commanding you, have a great time. <laughs> He's a fun, fun God. But he understands healthy boundaries in relationships. And so sometimes this, this, you know, this gets, and then the Holy Spirit will say, okay, now there's something between you and I, and I'm actually going to stop you. I'm going to oppose you to save you for yourself. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I, I kind of get that, but you're definitely not talking to me. I'm not an enemy of God. I'm in church. I'm here. You're preaching to the choir here. Except for the fact that, listen, it's talking to all of us. Because we all have to watch relational stuff. Listen, you understand that in, in your marriages, if you're not watching that and nurturing that and communicating and cleaning things out all the time, it is so easy for stuff to build up. 
If you're not communicating and kind of, you know, at times stepping in almost to the point where, you know, you're wondering, ah, am I being invasive or into the life of your children? I'm telling you, it's so, it's so easy for things to get rooted. And the next thing you know, they're kind of a whole different little person and you don't even know how. It's just messy, but it's relationship, relationship, relationship. And the Holy Spirit is leaning into this. And so he said, listen, if I have to, I'll step in and I'll just step right in front of you and I'll say, okay, stop. Stop everything you're doing. We have to talk. And he said, it kind of feels like that I'm, I'm, I'm opposing you, but it has all to do with how much the Holy Spirit loves us, how much that he, he's willing to, to, uh, to do to protect us from ourselves, and how do we he's get us back on track. And that's how we see how personal this is when we go to the next verse, James chapter four, verse five. He says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain? Okay, so he's asked you two provoking questions. The first is, do you know, or you know this, right? And the second thing he asks is, or do you think the Bible's just writing stuff just to be writing stuff? Do you not understand that God's, he means what he says and he's really trying to get us to understand relationship. Do you not think that the scripture says, that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who is in us yearns jealously. Now this is where some of you are gonna be shocked. I can I was, I was, I was shocked the first time I saw it. The word yearns here comes from a Greek word that describes an intense desire, a craving, a deep, deep longing, or here's the shocking one. It's the same word used throughout the New Testament for lust. You're like, what? Usually, when it uses the New Testament, it's talking about this, this intense desire for something that is really unhealthy. In fact, for something that's simple, sinful. In fact, some scholars describe it so, so that you can really get your head wrapped around it. This is what it looks like when an addict is just needing a fix. And they kind of go into the zone, in, into the, you know, everything else blanks out and all they can think about is I gotta get fixed, I gotta get a fix. They're in a frenzy. Everything in their personhood is screaming. They just gotta get that fix, gotta get that fix. That's what this word lust describes. And so here the Bible's saying the Holy Spirit's desire to be part of your life, at the center of your life, is so intense I mean, just such a yearning. This is how he feels. You may not feel anything. You may think, ah, he doesn't care about me. I'm just one, you know, whatever. He understands my heart. But he's got such an intense feeling. I'm just gonna say this in church because this is what the Bible said. He literally lusts after a relationship with you. He's craving time with you. And every time you say, you know, well, not today, I'm a little too tired, but, but I promise tomorrow for sure, and then tomorrow something comes up, I gotta get the day early, and then, and then pretty soon it just becomes such a habit that you don't even talk about it anymore. Listen to me, something triggers in him. And he, he's serious about this, not legalistically. This is personal. Remember Psalm 139 said, he's the one who the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, he's the one who... By an architect plan design, Ephesians chapter one tells us, he's the one who intricately wove your life together. He's been with you longer than you were you. He pass he's passionate about you. Parents, we look at our kids and we have a passion for their well-being and a passion for their future and we take them to you know, the different events and, and educational things and, and sports competitive things and, and we just sit there on the stands and we're like white knuckle on the bench because we want them to do well and we're looking, are they having fun? The Holy Spirit's doing the same thing to you. 
He's not just some entity out there. Remember, he came to dwell, to live in you if you've accepted Christ. He lives with you every day. Can you imagine living in the same house with someone every day who constantly ignores you? Who every time you try to encourage, they just turn around and say, ah, you're just saying that to be nice. You don't really mean that. Or you probably think I'm stupid. You probably think I'm... Can you imagine living in that? You get desperate to say, what do I have to do? To be able to turn this thing around, this is what the Holy Spirit's trying to get us to understand. In fact, he so wants us to understand this passion, this lust that the Holy Spirit feels, the desperation to say, what do I have to do to get you in a relationship, that he actually adds a word, because that, that word wasn't strong enough. He said he doesn't just yearn, he yearns jealously. And this particular word is a really animated word in the Greek language because it literally is used to describe a husband who's just discovered that another man is pursuing his wife. Now, up to that point, he had no clue. He thought their relationship was great. He loved, loved, he adores his wife. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, something just shocks him and he understands that somebody else is pursuing and what, ma what makes matters worse, he begins to recognize that his wife is not pushing that off. She's rather open and welcoming to that. Well, listen, if you can put it in that personal, some of you might know somebody. I, I say this with sensitivity. Some of you might have actually experienced this. But if you can imagine, the, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit heart fills up with envy. Then it fills up with anger. Then it fills up with resentment and rage to the point that the Holy Spirit will take immediate action to say, I've got to fix this. In fact, listen to the RIV translation. It's an expanded translation uh, in verse number five. It says, the Holy Spirit takes it very personally when we share our lives with the world. He wants us so entirely for himself that if the world tries to take us away, it infuriates him. You need to know that in these cases, the Holy Spirit will not sit idly by and watch it happen. He'll do something to change the situation. And some of you are thinking, wait, 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 Pastor, wait, wait. God's love, right? He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get revengeful and he doesn't get, you know, a resentment. He doesn't get all that stuff. Listen, you got to read your Bible with a little more eyes open understanding because the Old Testament over a dozen times, not somebody made a commentary or an observation about God. God himself stepped up and said, let me tell you who I am. I'm a jealous God, capital J. In other words, this is not just a description of my behavior. This is a description of me as a person. I'm a very jealous God. And let me give you a couple of examples. Exodus chapter 20, verse three, and then we'll uh, skip down to verse number five, the, the back half in verse six, just for time's sake. This is, of course, the part of the 10 commandments. He said, you shall, not have, you shall have no other gods before me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. Remember, enmity against God. See, you understand why he made those statements. It's not legalism. It's not behavior. It's relationship. I've emptied myself for you, and we're living in the same house, and you ignore me constantly. And now you're cheating on me in, right in front of my face. And, and he just fills up with this jealousy and this rage because his, his desire to be in relationship is so intense. You forget God's been working on this for thousands of years. He risked everything in his own personal relational unit. He risked all of that for you. 
And then we just ignore him. We just like, yeah, hey, thanks, but I got, I got some stuff I got to do today. And okay, he gets that. You know, any healthy relationship allows for the flex and even allows for a season where you're trying to get back on course. But if it's persistent, he takes it personal. And the Bible says here, he, he takes it so personal that he'll actually allow something to participate. He'll allow an iniquity or a bent, a wrong thinking, a wrong perspective to go for three to four generations for, for somebody who decides they're gonna be an enemy of God and they won't turn back. But notice he's not finished, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. The moment you soften your heart, God flips and turns. Why? Because he's so passionate about the relationship. He's not trying to hurt you. And the moment you say, man, I'm so sorry I didn't realize I did that. I'm gonna need your help, but help me to get back. Absolutely. And you're gonna see that in just a minute. Listen to Deuteronomy 4.23. It says, take heed to yourselves. That's kind of that, don't you know? You don't think the scriptures are just like, for fluff, right? You, you realize this is truth. He says, don't you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry, take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make yourselves a carved image in the form of anything, which is the Lord your God, which the Lord your God has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. We think of carved images like some foreign God, and it definitely was included that. We just have a different version of those images. Uh, for example, money. Anything that materialism, uh, the New Testament actually calls that or addresses that to the God of mammon. That, that's an idol. But we have all this other stuff that we have, you know, stickers and posters and cards and we just don't think about it that somewhere we cross the line. It's not bad to participate in those. Part of that's the blessing of the Lord. But when we participate to the point that we don't have time for the very heartbeat of the relationship itself, that becomes a problem. It would become a problem in your relationships as well. Somewhere we got out of balance, and that's what he's saying here. Now, the Holy Spirit's jealousy is such a big deal that the Apostle Paul actually picked up on it and wrote. The other one was by James, but the Apostle Paul mentions it as well. Here's one example, Ephesians chapter four. He said, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And in your workbook, that word grieved is the word lupita. And it actually uh, is talking about an agonizing heartbreak. It's describing the agonizing heartbreak. Listen, that can only be felt between two people who were deeply, deeply and passionately in love until one discovers the other was unfaithful. Uh, We could say it this way. It literally breaks his heart. It's personal. It breaks his heart. And so Paul's strongly urging us, please, please, whatever you do, remember the relationship. Remember how deeply the Holy Spirit loves you and be so, so careful not to distress him. So, so careful. Listen, if he comes to you and he says, hey, can I talk to you about that? Be quick to listen. Oh, 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 yeah, please, please, I didn't didn't even realize, didn't even dawn on me. Or, you know what, I, I know, I know you're right, I saw it. I don't know how to fix it right now. We've committed to this and we've committed to that and I don't know how, see, if you can help me through this season or tell me what you want me to do. This is exactly what, what it's saying. Now, here's the big question and, and we'll kind of uh, move towards it to finish here. Let's just say that you're sitting here and you're realizing, that's totally me, right? <laughs> I don't wanna be that way. But I have, I've, I've hurt him, I've ignored him. My life is so in a wrong position. I literally don't have time to do the things that I know would be the healthiest in a relationship with God, 
what, what do we do? Is he going to abandon me? Is he that jealous God? Is he going to turn that towards me? And listen to me, the answer is absolutely 100% no. In fact, we're going to see that in the next verse or two. He's so desperate to see you refocus your attention that the Bible says that he keeps giving grace. He'll stop you, but he'll give you a pathway to get back on it and give you grace. And we're going to find that in, in James chapter 4, verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, or listen, it, we, we could replace therefore with that's why. The Holy Spirit says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen, lots of people have quoted that. Well, you know God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Doesn't have any understanding of why God said that. God said that because of relationship. You know why God resists the proud? Not because he just wants to show you how much stronger he is, that he's in charge, you're not in charge. He doesn't have an ego problem. He resists the proud because he's trying everything he can to get them to turn around and move in the right direction. But their pride has created an enmity which has made them an enemy against God himself. They're fighting a healthy relationship even though they're so immature and they're so caught up in what they want to do, they don't even realize they're destroying the very thing that they need. And God being a loving God and is, is, is like a parent, you're not going to like me for this, the parent will say, but I'm going to put a stop to that because I need you to be in a healthy place. You're going to be frustrated with me now so that you can absolutely thank me later. And this is why the Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so the act of grace that God gives uh, doesn't feel very gracious at the time, right? Tough love never does. But the act of graciousness that God gives, he literally resists you. He literally says, nope, you're not moving one step farther. And you get frustrated and some of you confuse it and you start, you know, binding the devil and saying, well, we just got to work hard. See, it's those people over there, they're stopping me. Nope, no, 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 it's not. It's God who's just putting, putting kind of the iron curtain down and saying, you're not going to do this. I'm not going to let you keep going because you're drifting farther and farther away. He says, I'm not going to let you keep going. I will resist you until you soften your heart. But the moment you soften your heart, watch what happens. He comes back with three promises. We're in your workbook still, by the way, and these three are going to go quick because we've already set the scenario in Scripture for it. Listen to James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, therefore, or here's the solution, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So in, in all of this drift, you, you have to understand the third party always is the enemy who now is taking advantage and leveraging this. Right? He sees a crack, he sees a drift, and so he's doing, yeah, come on. Oh, no, you should be, you're, you're, you know, you're so good at this, you should do this full time. You should put all your, you should buy all the equipment and do everything for it. Listen, I'm not talking about how you participate, I'm talking about how that participation affects your relationship with the Lord and the time you invest with Him. But the enemy will leverage that and will take you into something really good because He's trying to get you away from something that is ultimately best. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, here's what you need to do. You need to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In other words, if you stop resisting the Holy Spirit and you begin to soften your heart and, and push, push your flesh aside and lay down your pride and surrender to the Holy Spirit, here's the first promise he'll give you. It's an amazing promise. The Holy Spirit will cause the enemy who tried to seduce you, to lure you away, he'll cause that enemy to flee from you. Let me tell you what that actually means in relevant terms, that situations will line up and change where you can still enjoy 
some of the things that, that you want to enjoy, but you'll do it in a healthy relationship again. Or for some of you, you've developed appetites. I don't mean just with food. You've developed appetites, interest, passions, connections to something, and those will just begin to fade away. How cool would it be if the things that you're now, I'm going to use the term loosely, addicted to, that you don't want to do anymore, but you can't help yourself, how cool would it be if you just didn't crave them anymore? <laughs> if it was just that easy. And that's exactly what God's promising, not in every area, but in more areas than you think. He'll actually change the appetite and bring your heart back over to where you crave good things and, and you want a good balance and you want the right thing. This is what the Holy Spirit, the enemy, he'll cause the enemy that tried to seduce you to flee from you. This is what 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 is saying, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and will guard you from the evil one. He's faithful. He's watching the relationship much like parents will watch their children, much like spouses will watch each other, not legalistic, you know, not detective eye, but passionately. We love the other person. We want the relationship to be healthy. We're paying attention. The Holy Spirit's paying attention and he will establish your rhythms and your, and your step so you can keep moving forward. And not only that, but he'll safeguard you from the evil one coming in. This is his promise. Yeah. And, and listen, before you get super religious again, I'm trying to keep you in a relationship. You know what this is like because parents, that's what you're trying to do for your kids. Spouses, that's what you're trying to do. It's not that you don't want them to have friends. It's not that you don't want them to have fun and, and other interests and don't you know, want to see them just you know, do well and exceed and kind of spread out. All of those things are, yes, 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 we're going to do all of that, but not at the expense of healthy relationship and healthy balance. James chapter four, we're back there again, verse number eight. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And in other words, he's saying, stop procrastinating. Stop, you know, kind, kind of uh, just saying, well, yeah, I know, but it's just a really busy season. Just be straight up and honest with the Lord. I, I, I need to do that. I'm struggling. I, I don't even have a passion for it anymore. I really would rather do this than this. I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather go, you know, do my favorite hobby or my sport. I'd rather just be on the move. And, you know, because if I sit too long in, in silence or if it gets too quiet, then I start thinking about, you know, the things that I'm not supposed to do. And so I just keep my life really noisy. And that's what I want to do. But you bring that to him and you say, but I need help because I know that I want to come back. Listen, if you'll do that, the Holy Spirit doesn't hold a grudge. Listen to promise number two. The Holy Spirit will work with you to close the gap by moving towards you. You, you don't have to feel the pressure and say, okay, but man, I'm so far away and I don't, I don't have the passions in my heart and all that discipline and commitment. So, okay, Holy Spirit, if you just wait for me there, here I come. No, no, the moment that you turn and you say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, and you take your first little step, the Holy Spirit comes running. You know what a great parable that illustrates this? If you can go back and read the parable of, of the prodigal son. The Bible says that he literally decimated his father's inheritance. I mean, just spent everything and didn't just spend it, you know, so where he lost it. He spent it and ruined the family reputation in the process. He's spending on all the wrong things, on harlots and riotous living and gambling. And, and then he actually desecrated, you know, some of the, the values and the beliefs and, and crossed over into un, unhealthy, unclean things. And he did all of that and everybody knew it. 
And he lost it all. And when he finally came to the realization, you know what? I, I can't get back on track. I just have to go to my father and say, can you at least let me live in one of the servants' houses? And he shows up one morning over the horizon. And the Bible says his father literally leapt, leaped off the porch and ran to him. And he's trying to explain, listen, I know I've messed up. Maybe Father's not even listening. The moment he took one step towards the father, the father was so passionate and so yearning for that relationship that he said, you take that one step, I'll meet you there. I'll come the rest of the way. This is what the Holy Spirit's promising. You're not, you're not too far away for the Holy Spirit to find you. And the Bible promises he will. Romans chapter eight says this, there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, it's interesting, that insert there where it says who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, that's not actually in the original text. Not in the actual writing. But it's so implied, the heart of relationship there, the heart of your willingness to turn and to say, I'm not going to walk according to the flesh anymore. I really want to walk with you, Holy Spirit. I want my life to be in rhythm with you. I want you to be the number one relationship. I don't feel it. I'm certainly not living it. But the moment you turn your heart to move that direction, then the Bible says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus kicks in and begins to move rapidly towards you. It's not in the text originally, but the translator said, yeah, but we have to put it in there because you'll lose the nuance of relationship that was trying to be conveyed. And so it's in almost every uh, translation of the Bible because of that. All right, we're gonna finish right here. James chapter four. We're in the last part of verse eight and we're gonna read two more verses. So here's what he says to do. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Here's what that means. Start with what's going on on the outside. Be willing to keep, to take a loose grip. Be willing to kind of let go of something if you have to and wash your hands. Clean up some of your behavior. Just, just take some little things. We're not at, he's not asking you to perfect everything, but just say, okay, you know what? You've been talking to me about that. I'm willing to curb that. I'm willing to bring that back in balance. I'm willing to let that go if I have to. It says, start from the outside. You're practical. He said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and then purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, go to the inside and realize why this is going on. Verse number nine, uh, lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I want you to realize all of those are progressive. It's not you saying, okay, that's not, that's it. I'm not gonna have any more fun. I'm gonna be super sad from this point on because I, I didn't honor the Holy Spirit's relationship. Well, you can't just turn that emotion on. But he said, watch what will happen. The moment you begin to acknowledge and you submit your heart, all of a sudden sobriety from the inside begins to take, begins to set in. And just like a relationship that's been put back on course, you know, sometime later they can look backwards and say, yeah, I was so out of balance. I didn't even see it. I just got so caught up, you know, and that was just filling such a need in my life that it just kind of took over and consumed me. But in the moment, they can't see that. In the moment, it feels like, ah, oh, you're asking me to give that up. But eventually they get to look backwards and they get to realize, yeah, I, was, I thought I was having so much fun, but I was really out of balance. And that's what the Holy Spirit will begin to do in your heart. Here's the last verse. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And the Greek word humble there is so important because it literally means to take a sober evaluation. It's not talking about false humility. It's not talking about someone who really inside thinks, man, I, I, I got this, I'm doing really well. I think my life's great, but I know God's not super happy. So, okay, I'm such a sinner and uh, forgive me because I, you know, I know I should think all these things, but you don't really mean it. 
He says, no, no, humble yourself. Look at this thing from an honest evaluation and, and come, to, come to grips with this. Honestly, you and I don't deserve anything. Nothing. He should have written me off, I mean, decades ago. And I'm not talking about before I was saved only. I was lost in sin then. But after I've become, become a Christian, listen, you think Adam and Eve did a bad thing. I've betrayed the Lord hundreds, thousands of times. I didn't bite into just one apple. I've eaten orchards of apples. As a Christian, not proud of that. I'm just saying, I know that, man, I walk in the mercy of God. Temptation and, and imbalance and things have tested me. And I've found myself nibbling at something all of a sudden. Like, what did I just do? Yeah, but you did it. And we all live there. And so take an honest evaluation and say, listen, I, I, you're the Lord. I need a savior. I desperately do. And the moment you do that, look what the Bible says. It says, he will lift up. That phrase is all one Greek word. And metaphorically, it literally means to be raised up to the summit of dignity and of honor and of blessing. But when we bring it to the spiritual life, here's what he's promising. He's saying, you know how I resisted you a while ago? And you just kind of felt like, man, my life just hitting the lid. I just can't get past there. And part of it is God trying to get your attention to say, I'm not going to let you keep moving forward until you get this thing straightened out. But the moment you do, you turn around and humble yourself. I don't mean like after you've got it in perfect rhythm. The moment you do and you begin taking a step towards the Lord, he'll run to you. And when he does, he lifts you right back up into the, into the, the, the honor and the full blessing of the Lord. By the way, just like the prodigal son's father did. Here he is, I'm, I can't believe I messed up, I'm so sorry, you know, just please forgive me, and the father's not even listening. Hey, bring the robe back out, get him, get him a new pair of shoes, man, get, get those things off of him. Clean him up, let's throw him a feast again. He's my son, and I thought I'd lost him, but he's home. This is real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Here's point number three, and we're finished. The Holy Spirit will raise the believer back to the full measure of blessing and favor. The moment you turn and humble yourself and submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, he puts you right back into that. And all of those promises of God that you're so desperate for, you have full access to them all, all, all right away again. He just lifts you right back up and begins to move it into your life. This is the passionate relationship of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying that it doesn't go you know, just in this Sunday service. But I, some of this is so big, it took me a while to really begin to digest and understand it. I'm praying the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, will use this as a start and will take you from here and begin to talk to you about this all week long. All week long. If he has to wake you up in the middle of the night, let him talk to you. But listen to me, even if he does and that grace hurts, even if you can feel the sting of conviction, listen, don't run away from that. Just open up, let the tears flow if you have to. Just say, help me, help me, because he loves you and he's trying to give you the best life that God had planned. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.